take a deep dive on Juventus, who are in trouble. Napoli are flying, plus a look at both Inter and Milan. I'm Chloe Beresford, this is the One Football Podcast, and we've no Padre today, so I'm joined by Serie A writer and author of Juventus, A History in Black and White, Adam Digby. Hi Chloe, hi everybody. So, I'm sorry to bring this up, but Juventus are struggling. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that you were initially a Max Allegri fan. By initially, do you mean seven years ago? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking for you really to tell us about his first spell in charge at Juve, what he did well and why you liked him. Okay, so Max Allegri arrived at Juventus in the summer of 2014, a few days after after Antonio Conte left on the second day of pre-season training, having one of his usual huffs and deciding he'd had enough and quitting. Surely not. (laughs) Antonio, you're surprised, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Allegri came in. Juve had obviously won the league three times in a row. They'd had an unbeaten season in those three. They'd set a record for 102 points. Um, And all all indicators were that Juve were going to deteriorate from there. They were going to decline because Conte had been so integral to turning things around after Juve had been so poor. And Allegri actually made the team better with very little investment, very um, very few new faces in that summer. Um, I think uh, Morata, Pereira and Patrice Evra were the only players that Juve signed. Um, and yeah, Allegri just made the team better. He made them much freer. He switched to a back four midway through that first season. Obviously, he got to the Champions League final. He won the club's first Coppa Italia in 20 years because, unlike Antonio Conte, he enjoys knockout football. Um, And he did really, really well. The team was much more exciting. They were much more forward-thinking. They um, demolished Borussia Dortmund in the knockout stage of the Champions League that first season, which led to Jurgen Klopp sacking Liverpool. You're welcome. Um, And, yeah, he was was a, a great manager and a bit of a revelation at Juve. Yeah, and he'd come from Milan, right, having won the Scudetto with them. Yeah, he won the Scudetto at Milan, and and now you look back, and after they won the Scudetto, they kind of declined and and went backwards a little bit. Um, That was down to a lot of factors with Milan, and and not many of them were due to Allegri, it has to be said. Um, But yeah, he had a proven pedigree, he'd arrived there, he won the title in his first season there, he came to Juve, and he won five league titles and and four Coppa Italia, so he... He was he was excellent. Yeah, I guess you can't really argue with that. I mean, maybe you would have liked him to get over the line and win the Champions League as well and really kind of have something to show for that amazing dominance. But, you you know, there's nothing to argue with really from that first record. He, he got to two Champions League finals. He lost one to Lionel Messi and he lost another to Cristiano Ronaldo. So up until 2017, at least, when Juve lost in Cardiff to Real Madrid in the second of those finals... I, I just didn't have anything to criticise him for at all. He, he handled the job, the team and, and his own role almost perfectly from start to finish. OK, so um, after those seasons that you mentioned, Juve actually sacked Allegri after he'd, he'd won the title. Well, why did they sack him in the first place? Because from Cardiff until he left the club in 2019, he took the team backwards. He kind of retreated into a safety first negative let's play this game not to lose mentality and that was directly opposed to to what he'd been like before it it wasn't the way that he'd he'd led the team before that 
Um, I mean, if you remember that that 2017 season, he changed to a 4-2-3-1 so that he could get um, Pjanic, Dybala, Cuadrado, Mandzukic and Higuain all on the field at the same time. So he was really progressive in that that first spell from 14 to 17. But after that, he really went negative, despite the fact that the club signed Cristiano Ronaldo in that time. Um, he, he just played scared all the time. So they relieved him of his duties and they brought in Maurizio Sarri because he'd been challenging Allegri at the top of the table, playing a lovely, free-flowing, fast uh attacking football with Napoli that sort of attracted admirers from outside of Italy, um, not just sort of at home. And Juve wanted to bring in that brand and and make the football more exciting. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, there was an interview just as Sarri was appointed and when Allegri was let go. Obviously, Sarri came back from Chelsea to to take the Juve job. but there was an interview with Andrea Agnelli at a press conference where he spoke about the need to entertain fans and play modern football. That interview has vanished without trace from Juve's website, YouTube channel, everything. You you literally cannot find it mm-hmm. um, as as the, since they went back to Max Allegri. But it, it was definitely there. I, I saw it. Okay. I didn't dream it. Um, yeah, they, they turned to Maurizio Sarri wanting to uh, combine... Juve's winning is not important. It's the only thing that matters, DNA, with Sari's desire to entertain and, and win in style. And what they've ended up with now with Allegri is no style and not winning. As You know, they've ended up with kind of neither. Well, yeah, they went from... Sari won the league in his, in his one season in charge, let's not forget, but he never really seemed to convince the... Um, all the players in the squad, whether that was Ronaldo, Bonucci, Chiellini, um, who didn't want to press, didn't want to to close down the opposition, didn't want to play high up the pitch. Um, Juve then turned to Andrea Pirlo, of course, who'd never coached. Kind of shocked everybody that, didn't it? He, well, he was he was getting the job as the under-23s coach in Serie C, the third division of, of Italian football. But he ultimately became the first team coach, to the surprise of everybody. Um, and tried much like Sari did to play a more modern style. He was a lot more interested in in pressing and attacking quickly than Sari. He didn't want to make 175 passes from one midfielder. He he wanted to get the ball forwards as quickly as possible and score goals as quickly as possible, uh, while trusting in some of the club's young players. Um, I think we started to see towards the end of his tenure that 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 had merit. That there were a lot of positives to that approach. Um, and like Sari, unfortunately, he was never really given a chance to to show it. The club finished fourth, won the Coppa Italia and the Super Cup, but he was quickly replaced by Allegri because the club were determined to get back to winning. Oh, <laughs> I mean, when you uh, when you think back actually to when Pirlo was in charge, he had Igor Tudor as his assistant, who mm-hmm. has since done really well with Hellas Verona and earned himself a place at. Marseille where they're equal on points at the time of recording with PSG so um, do you think the club were a little bit hasty in getting rid of Pirlo? Definitely I think there's certainly a you can look at what happened that summer and I think you can definitely say that there was a element of panic in in some of their thinking they didn't win the league for the first time in in nine seasons so it, it, it certainly caused panic and I think some knee-jerk reactions taken as a result 
have you have to say include giving Max Allegri a nine million euros net a season contract for four years? Well, um, that's was something we'll come on to in a little bit later. Um, <laughs> that kind of problem of being locked in with Allegri, um, but just sort of bringing it right into the present. Um, they've obviously. Uh, we're very lucky to come back against lowly Salernitana at the weekend. Um, they lost to Benfica in midweek in the Champions League. Allegri having said that that was the most important game. Um, you know, the, the, he almost said that the PSG game didn't matter, that they were almost like they weren't going to try because everything rested on the Benfica game. And then they lost that as well, which, you know, a loud chorus of boos could be heard at Juventus Stadium. Lots of empty seats, lots of unhappiness. What are the problems at the moment? Uh, Allegri. <laughs> um, well, this season started off um, with a 3-0 win over Sassuolo in the league. Um, and it was ugly, even though it was 3-0. And Allegri was asked about it and he said he didn't care if it was ugly. All that matters is the result. Okay. Um, he, he, he's not bothered if, if they're pretty or not. He just cares about results. This this on the back of a, a of his first season back last year when they were fairly mediocre. They didn't actually win anything. Yeah. Um, and then, as you say, he, he went into the PSG game asking how important that game was. He said, let's be realistic. The, the game that matters is the Benfica game. Um, but since that Sassuolo game, Juve have won once so far this season in all competitions. Um that was against Spezia. So they've beaten Sassuolo and Spezia this season. Um, and they've either drawn or lost every other game. They've started the Champions League off with two losses for the first time ever. Um, and yeah, he, he said the Benfica game was the one that mattered and then proceeded to lose that as well. So he, he wants it to win and not be pretty, but he's not winning and it's not pretty. Yeah. The Benfica game is the game that matters, but he lost that as well. So the problems... The problems are everywhere and they largely stem from Allegri's ethos and approach to pretty much every match the club plays. And and what is that? What what is um what is that ethos and and how how is he trying to play? Because the games seem to follow a pattern where um Juve make quite a bright start, they go ahead one nil, and then they sort of seem to retreat and let the opponent have the ball, and that's when the opponent grows into the game and, and certainly against Benfica they end up losing. Yeah, it's it's like if you imagine if you were playing FIFA and you score and go one nil up and then you put the controller down and go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, because they just they literally stop playing when they take the lead they they just they they you're quite right Chloe. they they press high up the pitch they're energetic they're full of um attacking intent and verve they score and you think ah finally things have changed he's realized that that can't carry on and and it has to change and it has to be more positive and then the minute they go one nil ahead they just stop and they the, is that what ultra caution or? I think it's the fear that I spoke about before mm. um, that's plagued Allegri since Cardiff. I think he's so scared to lose that he, I mean, he, in preparing for this podcast, we were we were sharing some notes and you mentioned to me about, um, he'd said about players getting carried away. Yeah, he'd, he'd said in his uh, pre-match interview before Benfica that, um, that he'd, he, he didn't, 
yeah, he just basically that he didn't want them getting carried away. I'm not, like not actually sure what getting carried away means. Going over halfway after yeah. you've gone one nil up, I think. And yeah, and they just they 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 concede possession to the opposition. I think they're ranked twelfth in Syria in terms of possession. They're behind teams like Empoli and Sampdoria, who were. Let's be honest, awful. Well, and Allegri's teams have already o- always enjoyed quite a lot of the possession, haven't they? Because they're so dominant. Yeah, but, yeah. but now they, they're not even trying. I mean, you look at the midfield and you've got players like Locatelli and Paredes who could keep the ball pretty much forever if, if that's what you wanted to do. We saw that with uh, Paredes at PSG and at Roma. We've seen that with Locatelli at Sassuolo where he can quite comfortably touch the ball over and over and over again in space and, and create space and find a teammate. But Allegri doesn't want, seem to want that. He wants to let the other team have the ball and sit in and and win one nil. Which, as we know from watching any sort of football at any level in 2022, unless you're clinging on by your fingernails in the last five minutes, you don't win games one nil anymore. And you see teams like Liverpool or um, Bayern Munich, and you can almost hear it in in the words of of Jurgen Klopp or or Nailsman or. Um, any of these other managers, they fully expect to concede goals. Yeah, I mean, um, it's Man City have been um, winning by big margins and, and Pep Guardiola, he said, you know, eventually we've got to stop giving the opposition a big head start, but he, he fully is used to kind of conceding goals. And giving that's them just... a head start, yeah, absolutely. But you saw Jurgen Klopp the other day, he was asked about... Um, Defensive lapses and mistakes by, that have been highlighted over and over by Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Klopp basically just shrugged and went, we have to be better, but when you play the way we play, you, you're going to give the other team chances. Yeah, when you play on the front foot yeah. a lot. Yeah. And if you win 5-1, 5-2, 4-2, nobody cares if you conceded two goals. The only reason it matters is that you're terrible defensively if you lose 2-1. Yeah. And if you're trying to win 1-0 and you lose 2-1, like Juve last night against Benfica, then... Of course, the the poor defensive um, concentration and the the bad mistakes matter, but they wouldn't matter if you played the way you played in the first 10 minutes and you were two or three goals up when you make that mistake. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about um, coaches that press and and Allegri kind of seems the opposite of that, you look at the way Juve play and the midfield um, particularly are... That all of the plays, it's it's definitely instruction because they're they're all doing it. They stand maybe one and a half, two meters even away from the opponent and kind of spread their arms out as if they're kind of trying to stop what they're doing. But they're not pressuring or getting anywhere near them. No, they want the game to be played in front of them, and then obviously it isn't because they look like traffic cones, so you just pass around them and keep the ball moving. That's certainly what PSG did. Yeah. I mean, even Salernitana were passing but around Juve. You only need one or two useful players, and then that becomes very easy. If you're playing against Spezia or Sassuolo, okay, you can manage, but if you're playing against PSG, Benfica, Roma, that, that's not enough. Yeah. And and you watch it, and you're quite right, they, they back off and they, they leave that space, and then they get played around. And we've seen with these players, we've seen with Paredes at PSG, we've seen it with Locatelli when he was playing for De Zerbi at Sassuolo or when he plays for Mancini with the national team or for the first 10 minutes of every Juve game this season. They know how to press. They're clearly told not to because if you tell a player to press and they do it for 10 minutes and then stop, you don't play them in the next game and you play somebody else who will press. Mm-hmm. You play somebody like Nicola Fagioli and you tell him to run until he dies and and press and he will. You, you, you know... 
you can you can find players who work hard, and if the the players you've got don't work hard and they don't follow your instructions, you don't play them. But he keeps picking the same players. Mm-hmm. And there was a case last night. Weston McKenney got the ball on the break, and he's so unfit that he had to stop the break and turn around and pass backwards. Well, that's one thing um, we discussed on a previous episode of the podcast, the fact that Delict has, on several occasions, mentioned the fitness regime at Juve and said that when he got to Bayern, he got a big shock because Juve just hadn't been um, maximising his fitness at all. Yeah, and that's something you hear quite a lot when a manager takes over a new club. He'll arrive and he'll go, oh, the players are really unfit. We've got a lot of work to do, which is basically coach speak for these lads are going to run and run and run in training because they've not been trying hard enough. Yeah. And and they demand that extra effort, so they make it public. For a player to go out and say that about a manager, I mean, Matthias De Ligt has no idea when he might cross paths with Max Allegri again, you know? Mm-hmm. Max Allegri could become the Netherlands coach. They could cross paths at another club down the line in the future. The the fitness staff could arrive at a club that De Ligt is at. Players just don't do that. They, they, they never do that. They make a lot of complaints. They make a lot of... Um, thinly veiled um, insults about the atmosphere or whatever, but they never say I'd never trained hard enough because they didn't make me. Mm-hmm. And and Matthias Delict has very explicitly, on more than one occasion, said that he didn't train as hard at Juve as he does at Bayern, and he's found the adjustment very difficult. Yeah, and and that's a top class. Uh, international high level elite footballer young as well yeah so somebody that age should be being pushed to the peak of his fitness shouldn't they they absolutely should and and he's left Juventus because he felt his potential was being wasted and you look around last night and and you look at the the body language of somebody like Angel Di Maria who's who's been around and has seen what elite level football looks like I mean there's a video of him this morning um, asking Milik why he got subbed off and, and you can see that. And yeah. how long is somebody like Dusan Vlavic gonna gonna um, tolerate being in the environment he is in? I mean, he was being discussed on on a par with Haaland mm-hmm. at the end of last se- at the beginning of last season. Maybe Mbappe when was, as well. When they was flying at Fiorentina, mm-hmm. um, and and the Juventus version of of Dusan Vlaovic is not the same as a Fiorentina version. And we can talk about the pressure moving to a big club and and a big money transfer all we like, but. How many players does it have to be before, you know? No, you look at Kulisevsky at Tottenham, he's thriving there as well. And he thrived before that at Parma. Even Bentancur looks good at Tottenham, you mm-hmm. know. And Bentancur looked like an awful footballer at Juventus. And and it's one of those things where it's not you, it's me. But, you know, how many times, you know, how many different players have to come in and go out and thrive at other clubs? And you look at the way that Chiesa played under, under Pirlo compared to the way he played for Allegri before he got injured last season. It's night and day. You know, and all these players, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're regressing, but they're certainly not progressing Mm. under Allegri. Kulusevsky looked great with Pirlo and and Allegri came and he was lost and he didn't know what to do and he's gone to Tottenham and look at him at Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, uh, just picking up on Chiesa, that's um, a point that Allegri has made and uh, it is maybe a slightly valid one that he is dealing with a lot of injuries. Chiesa is out... Um, he's not. We've not even seen Pogba at Juve yet because he got injured straight away and and will be for some time now because he's had an operation. Um, is that an excuse? The the injury list. Do you think is that a um, a valid reason? And let's say if those players were back and maybe you know Angel Di Maria because of his age, he's kind of been in and out of fitness since he arrived. 
Like, if those players were fit, would this be any better? No, I don't believe it would. Well, no, let me... It would be better because you would have better quality individuals and the way that Juve are playing, you are heavily reliant on an individual moment of brilliance. And if you have Pogba and Chiesa on the field, you're more likely to get those. But that doesn't change the fact that the system is broken and it doesn't work. And it's it's constantly highlighted that... Let, I mean... You say about um, missing Chiesa and Pogba, but look at they played Salernitana and Benfica. You know, man for man, the Juventus team is better than both those teams comfortably, even without those players. You know, you look at like the likes of Bremer, Di Maria, Locatelli, um, Paredes, Vlaovic, even Milik. You know, these are these are top top footballers. Adrian Rabiot on the bench. You know, there's all these players all with quality, who all look excellent when they play. Vlavic was great at Fiorentina. Rabiot looks good when he plays for France. McKennie looks good when he played for, for Pirlo and when he plays for the USA. Kulusevski's left and he looks good. Paredes was doing well at PSG, he plays for Argentina. You know, it's a constant theme of the whole being less than the sum of its parts. And mm -hmm. that is, is entirely coaching. That's the whole point, right? You, you take this group of players and you make them better, both as individuals and as a collective. And Allegri's doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it seems pretty clear at this point. I mean, a lot of the fans uh, are calling for him to be sacked. Like I said, there were boos after the game. There is a big um, movement, should we say, to... to the, the Allegri has kind of come to the end of what he can do for Juventus. Um should that happen, do you think? And maybe more to the point, will the club do it? Should that happen? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the way that Juve are struggling, the investments that they've made in the squad, the quality and the depth of that squad. I mean, we can all look at the Juve squad and go, eh, maybe they need a bit more depth at centre-back. Maybe they need a starting left-back. Okay. You're always, too, Harry Redknapp, you're always two players away from being great, right? Mm -hmm. But... There's enough quality in that squad where they shouldn't only have two wins after eight matches, six in the league and, and two in the Champions League. They should be beating Benfica. They should be beating um, Salernitana. It's not even a question. Then you look at the market and the first question you always ask when you say, oh, so-and-so should be sacked. Who's available? Well, Thomas Tuchel is available. Mm -hmm. Zinedine Zidane, a player with ties to Juventus, is available. If you can't attract them to Juventus, then you have bigger problems than than just Max Allegri, right? Mm -hmm. You know, with that talent, with how weak Serie A is, being in the Champions League in a, a relatively straightforward group, okay, you might not win because of PSG, but you should certainly be second when you have uh, the other two teams in that group. Mm -hmm. it, it's a very appealing job. You've got Chiesa coming back, Pogba coming back, Locatelli there. You've got all those players. You've got some real talent. You've probably got one of the best backup goalkeepers in Europe in Mattia Perrin, who was uh, the, probably the man of the match against Benfica and the only man who made a difference between being 5-1 and 2-1. Um, so, yes, he absolutely should be sacked. He's he's proven for a year and a half that he's not up to the task anymore. And I take no pleasure in saying that. I really like Max Allegri as a, as a guy, as a coach, but right now it's not working and that's exactly when you have to make that change. The problem comes, like I said before, Nine million a year net over four years 
doing 33 million euros. Mm-hmm. You know, you, can, you, can you afford to pull the trigger on that? Can you afford not to pull well, the trigger on that? There is an argument that says, you know, the fact that, like you mentioned, some of the star players may push for a move away. You know, if it continues, you could see some as early as January pushing for a move. If there was a club that would take someone like Vlavic, I'm sure, you know, Bayern Munich need a striker. You know what I mean? Like, yep. uh, players could be attracted away. Um, there's the loss in revenue from prize money in the champion potential prize money in the Champions League if they go out. There's the kind of drop off in profit, shirt sales, all those kind of things because right now and ticket sales I was just right now say, there's a at, lack of interest in Juventus because they are playing such dreadful football. I mean they played in the Champions League last night at the in the the group match that mattered, right? At yeah. home against Benfica. Look how many empty seats mm-hmm. you could see. Just go and look at any replay of any point of the match. The entire West Stand is maybe half full. If you're lucky, I think. The rest was quite full, it has to be said. Yeah. But that entire West Stand, which is, for those who are not aware, that's where all the tourist tickets are for Juventus. They're the expensive seats. It was empty because who wants to go and watch that? I mean, if you buy a ticket as a neutral, well, you better hope that Benfica play well. Yeah, I mean, Juve, um, since Andrea Agnelli came in as the president, they've marketed the club. You know, there was that controversial change of the badge. There was, you know, there's a lot you of... You mean logo. <laughs> logo, sorry. Um, there's been a lot of changes that have perhaps upset the ultras and the more traditional fans in favour of... Um, attracting more foreign fans to come, you know, more interest, global interest in, in Juve as a, in inverted commas, as a brand. Well, the, you, you're devaluing your brand right now by keeping a man in charge who plays negative football. And yes, you have to pay him a very large sum of money to, to go away. But especially because there is another top manager free right now. Um, and, you know... Two. Yeah. And and that doesn't happen all that often. No. You know, doesn't it seem like false economy? It, it does. And the one thing I would say that I've not seen very many people uh, discuss is that in Italy, when they sack a manager, they actually don't sack the manager. They place them on gardening leave and send them home and keep paying them every month. So it's not like Andrea Agnelli has to write a cheque for, for 33 million euros to Mr M Allegri of... Livorno, mm-hmm. you know, he he literally just keeps paying his wages while Allegri goes home. And it's not until he gets another job that they have to sit down and discuss how they're going to end that contract. So, okay, you can't afford to pay 33 million, but you can afford to play two, pay two coaches at once. Yeah. You know? And also, if, I mean, I, I'm sure there'll be some club out there that um, hires Max Allegri if he does get fired. And if another club hires him, they will negotiate with Juve and Juve won't have to pay the full rest of the contract, right? No, and and Juve would negotiate with Allegri and his agent and they would agree a payoff like they did with Aaron Ramsey this summer to just leave. Yeah. And it wouldn't be the full amount. So they'll never have to pay the full amount. It, 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 it'll it be a monthly sum, at least until the end of this season because Serie A rules prevent a coach coaching two clubs at once and it's very difficult to imagine a foreign club appointing Max Allegri right now mm-hmm. um, or him taking a job abroad anyway because we already saw when he got sacked by Juventus he sat at home for two years and there were jobs in the Premier League there was a Real Madrid job that he was allegedly offered twice and, and refused to take 
Um, so I find it very difficult to imagine a, a foreign club would take him. But yeah, you would imagine before too long, uh, a Serie A club would come along and, and want to employ him because there are only so many top managers, right? Mm -hmm. And there's also Roberto Di Zerbi out there without a job. If you want a bit of a left field candidate, somebody who can get a, a young, exciting, vibrant squad to start pulling in the right direction and playing football the way that football is played in 2022. And he would be quite cheap. And I'm sure you could afford that as well as Max Allegri's salary if you don't want to go yeah. pay Thomas Tuchel, you know? Yeah. There, there are options. And I think what you said before about Juve being unable to afford to keep Max Allegri right now is absolutely the truth. I, I don't see any way that you can justify and we have to remember that Juve are a publicly traded company there are shareholders to be um, held accountable by how do you justify keeping the guy in the job mm -hmm. right now because you can have that conversation before about it's not about the the standard of football it's about the results and you can say oh well he only just came back he's building a new team he's been here a year and a half the results are not coming and the football's still ugly so he's not ticking any of the boxes and the seats are empty. And when you have empty seats, again, as you rightly said, you've got the knock-on effect of how empty is the club shop at half-time and full-time. Mm -hmm. You know, how many beers and how many Coca-Colas at eight euros a pop are you selling in the West Stand? Because there aren't people there to buy them. And all that affects the bottom line. Well, if you've, if you've built, rather than building a football club in a, a very traditional way, if you've instead built very clearly um, and, and the logo as you call it not the badge oh yeah not me <laughs> or or as it's as it's referred to um you know that was a, a very clear line drawn in the sand this is a brand this is what we want to be mm -hmm. if you are a brand then this this current allegory team is spoiling that brand Absolutely. If you were a cinema chain and you all never showed Godfather 3 that's 40 years old and out of date and rubbish anyway. They say, oh, that cinema's rubbish. Yeah. And they Not go, the films they show are rubbish. They blame the cinema itself, right? Yeah, because why would you go to that cinema? It only shows rubbish. If you were an entertainment brand, well, all they show is rubbish. Unless the other team happens to play well on that given Sunday. Yeah. You know, it's, it's awful. I don't want to watch it. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm a Juve fan and it's my job to write about Juve. And I don't want to watch it. Why would anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I certainly wouldn't subject anybody I like to watching it. <laughs> um, so with things so uncertain at Juve, um, this might be a difficult question to answer because if Allegri does get sacked and somebody good comes in, this could change everything. But who, if things stay the same, shall we say, as they are now, who do you see as title favourites in Serie A this year? I think if you if you look at the bookies and odds makers I think obviously you would look towards Milan and Inter but I think from what I've seen so far this season I'd be looking much closer at the two Rome clubs to be honest I, I think um, Maurizio Sarri <laughs> given a second season is doing very well at Lazio which is a story that we've heard before when he was given a second and third season at Napoli he did mm -hmm. very well he didn't get that at Chelsea he didn't get that at Juve surprise surprise when it happens he does very well he's got an excellent squad there um he started to build them into a real unit. He's getting the very best out of guys like Felipe Anderson. Um, and obviously he's got the ultimate quality of, of Sergei Milinkovic-Savic still. And Chiro Immobile seems to score every single week. He's not played very well this season, but he's already got three goals in the league. You know, he, he <laughs> yeah. just... He just death, scores goals, that's what he taxes does. taxes and Chiro Immobile goals, you know, yeah. when he's not playing for Italy. Um, he, they're delivering co with consistency now. And Roma, there's something very, very special brewing at Roma for me. 
with Jose Mourinho, a man who knows what it takes to, to win. He's got a real deep, talented squad who are fully bought into to what he's wanting to do. He's got Dybala, he's got Tammy Abraham, he's got Zaniolo still, you know, he's got uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini. There's some real, real quality there and he's got some more experienced players in to, to shore that up and, and make it really tough on opponents. They're in the Europa League this season, which I don't see them taking as seriously as they took the, the Conference League last year because I think Jose recognised very quickly that that was a real chance to make a name for himself. and As the uh, first guy to have all three. Yeah, and get a new <laughs> tattoo and, you yeah. know, all those things. But I think he recognised that was a way to win silverware and, and get the fans on side and get some real momentum. And, and fair play to him, he did exactly that. But I think you look at the way that Serie A is unfolding this year, Juve are a disaster. Inter look really weak compared to previous seasons as they become much more of a Simone Inzaghi team and a lot less of an Antonio Conte team. Um, and Milan... They look very much like the the morning after the night before, don't they? They they really celebrated that Scudetto hard, and they look like they're paying for it a little bit now. They they look a little bit drunk and hungover still, um, and I think Pioli's struggling to replicate the the consistency that they showed in the the title winning season there. And the other contenders, you look around at Atalanta, Napoli, whoever, but they're not on a par with those for me. So I think I think for me. If you have to pick one team, I would say it's Roma. If you have to pick two, I would say it's Roma and Lazio right now. Mm, or interesting. I like Juve if it's not Allegri. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel's Juve, that's my favourite. <laughs> no, you could stop dreaming now. Um, okay, so moving on a little bit to the Champions League, to midweek. Napoli are flying in Europe. They had a 4-1 win over Liverpool, which... If you watched the game, it could have been so many more um, penalty missed and hit the woodwork and etc. And and they they looked excellent, albeit uh, against a struggling Liverpool side. On Wednesday night, they had uh, a three 0 win over Rangers uh, away from home. They missed the penalty again, um, but still won three 0 And they overcame in the league a difficult test versus just as you mentioned, Maurizio Sarri's. Um, Lazio side but Spalletti does have a bit of a, a sort of a reputation for fast starts and then dropping off so um, do you think they could be on for some silverware this season? No if <laughs> if you ask me who the best managers in the world are the, the usual suspects you would you would say Klopp you would say Pep Guardiola above both of those is Luciano Spalletti in September <laughs> There, there is no doubt in my mind that if you want results in August and September, you should employ Luciano Spalletti and then sack him on the 1st of October because he's amazing. First 10, 11 league games of the season is incredible. He's He's got a Serie A record for wins in those games with Roma. He's done it again at Napoli. He's done it at Inter. He, he's done it at Inter. He does it all the time. And mm. he, oh, they could win the Scudetto. Oh, they could win. Da, da, da. And then it's October and... Uh, yeah, everyone always gets carried away with early season Spalletti, don't they? Um, I, I've done it myself in the past. W- why is it, do you think? Why is it, do you think, that he has these fast starts and then drops off? Why can't he continue that intensity? Have you ever blown up a balloon and held it for a minute and then let go of it? Yeah. And it, it goes up first. Yeah. And then it just flies all over the place and then lands in a heap on the floor. Yeah. That's Luciano Spalletti. It's always amazing. He comes in and he's this bright, bubbly character and he gets his players going and he gets them to buy into what he wants to do. And then at the first sign of any adversity whatsoever, like when the balloon hits the roof, Mm. he just loses it. And 
I know that you've been in a Luciano uh, Spalletti press conference, and I yeah. certainly have as well. He's a crazy person. Yeah, he is. He is. And I think, so, like, when he can channel it, he's, like, good crazy, and it can become, like, a genius. Yes. But then it doesn't take much for it to all kind of fall to pieces. No, he, he's... the. People always talk about there's a fine line between genius and insanity. Luciano Spalletti firmly has one foot either side of that line. <laughs> he he can be incredible. I mean, he made um, Francesco Totti the, the golden boot winner for Europe you know, when he played a, a team without strikers when he was at Roma the first time. Mm-hmm. And then he came back to Roma and he decided he didn't like Totti anymore. He just blanked him, didn't he? Uh, yeah. He just didn't play him. And, and uh, Totti's, you know, he's you know, kind of his last... His last uh, season and a half was completely blighted by this war with Spalletti. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not saying that Francesco Totti is the easiest character to get on with in the world, but he just goes completely off the rails. And it's no wonder that his teams are capable of such incredible highs and such incredible lows, because so is he. Mm. You know, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is, he just loses it. And when it goes, it, it, it really goes. You know, and and I know you've seen that too, and it, it it's it's almost unnerving to see when when you actually notice it for yourself in person, um, the the way that he is and the the way that he acts and the way that he carries himself when in those bad moments, and you almost worry for him as a as a person. You know, you like the, the guy needs some help, yeah. but yeah, it, this early part of the season, if. If you if you bet on football when it's August and September, absolutely put some money on the Luciano Spalletti to get unexpected results. I mean, winning against Liverpool is they're not in the greatest of form, but it's still a heck of an accomplishment, you know. And, exactly. And Rangers are a tough team to play against. You know, they they create a heck of an atmosphere. They they know what it takes to to upset teams in Europe, but. But Napoli, when you know, a typical Spalletti side, when things are going well, they go really, really well. But you just you can never expect it to last too long. Yeah, and it's one of those other things, like one of those only in Serie A things, isn't it? Where you get these real characters in charge of teams, like whether that's a coach or a president, you get these real kind of um, colourful characters, and and that's why you get the sort of really unexpected results. A yeah. lot of the time, because it's not like a very stable foundation. It, it, it's not at all. And the other thing I would say is when you have an owner like Aurelio De Laurentiis at Napoli, I can't wait almost for it to go wrong at Napoli because when those two go off at each other, it's going to be spectacular. <laughs> it's going to be box office, isn't it, it? It really is. I mean, if anyone's going to sell tickets for it, it will be De Laurentiis, right? <laughs> yeah. He actually makes films. So, yeah, like buckle up for that one because that is going to be must-see TV when those two explode. And they will. Yeah. It, it, it is I going mean, to happen. You could, we could talk for three hours about De Laurentiis' crazy things, but I mean, he, he's he's the guy that um, appointed uh, Carlo Ancelotti while Sarri was... He hadn't sacked Sarri yet. So he's unveiling Carlo Ancelotti before he's... You know, he's got his arm around him and stuff, and he's still got the previous guy still on the payroll, and all of these, like, yeah. I mean, he he picked up the phone to um the Belgian club Ghent when um he'd signed Kalidou Koulibaly because when he arrived for his medical, he was only six foot two. And uh, Y Scout, the the football scouting database, said that he was six foot five, so he asked for some money back, <laughs> and that a hundred percent in genuinely all seriousness, did. Yeah. yeah. 
It's like you, you told me he was six foot five. He was asking for a proportional discount for the three inches he was missing. Well, uh, just very quickly on Inter, they won 2 0 against um, Victoria Pilsen um, in midweek. And all the papers were talking about, oh, it's relieved the pressure on Simone and Zage because he was sort of, they were talking about potentially get sacked and everything like that. But, um, you know, I feel that against a team like Victoria Pilsen, it's it's maybe a bit premature to say, oh, he's turned it around, you know, all everything's better. Like, do you really think he's the right man for the job at Inter? Well, I mean, if if a win against Victoria Pulsen is all it takes to get the, the media and the fans off your back, I think Juve will be arranging a friendly with them on Friday <laughs> afternoon. Um, no, I don't think he is the right man for Inter. I think, I think he is a man who really struggles to find any sort of consistency with his team. I mean, you, you look back to the... I know everybody in the world, all of people listening, you, Chloe, me, everybody had a difficult time with, with COVID and the whole pandemic and everything. But when when the football stopped for that, Lazio were running away with Serie A. They were fantastic. And when they came back, they just went to pieces and, and they didn't even get in Champions League. You know, they were, they were really poor. And that's who he's been his entire managerial career. He's, he's gone to Inter. They took a real step back last season. Um with very much the same squad that Antonio Conte had, besides having Romelu Lukaku, who he's now got back. Um, but they know they're a shadow of themselves. Mm. And, and that is entirely for me. Not, not that I think Antonio Conte is the greatest coach in the world, but he gets every ounce of everything from his players. And I just don't think that Simone Inzaghi is capable of that. He plays a very similar formation to Antonio Conte, but plays the same tactical style as Max Allegri it's it's very mm. much outdated and negative and slow. boring and slow yeah. uh, and and not just slow but very one paced as well I mean we've seen a number of times this season when they're they're losing um, and they need goals he subs off Nicola Barella who's like the one midfielder who can break the lines and get into the box and and create something from nothing and he did that a lot with Milinkovic Savic at, at Lazio too and I think he to, all, to use the old football cliche, he very much plays with the handbrake on and mm-hmm. he's yanked it on hard at Inter. Yeah. And, and they're really struggling to find any sort of cohesion or or, or anything. And he keeps playing guys like um, Damian instead of Denzel Dumfries and decisions like that, which is very similar to the way he treated Jordan Lukaku at, at, um, at Lazio, playing Senad Lulic over him when Lukaku was clearly a, a better, more progressive attacking fullback who gave you more options in attack. And I just think those decisions, he's playing Jekyll a lot, you know. And I mean, at the moment he has to because Lukaku's yeah, injured. Yeah, but... of course. But you, you play Jekyll, you need players bombing into the box from behind and, and flooding the area and trying to help. But Jekyll's very much isolated up top and, and you're not getting forward play from your wing backs and you don't have Perisic anymore. And it, it just looks very stale. Mm-hmm. It, it looks very, very much the same as, as Juve right now. And a, a win over Victoria Pleasant, as much as Juve would kill to, to win a Champions League game, <laughs> uh, that it, not all wins in the Champions League are created equal. Yeah. You know, that's a, okay, you might finish third instead of fourth, you know, which for re, for recent seasons for Inter might be an improvement, but it, it's not enough. And, no. and they need results and they need results fast. And and yeah, he's he's a manager who needs to be looking over his shoulder as well. Yeah, well, um, across the other side of the city, as it were, um, Milan were 
actually really impressive against Dinamo Zagreb. They won 3-1. Um, Liao was brilliant again. Um, they they have obviously a much easier Champions League group than Inter, who are in with uh, Bayern and Barca. Um, I know you sort of weren't keen on them for the league just now, but what, what do you think they can do this season? Like maybe if they can keep hold of Liao, because I think that will be crucial. Yeah, it absolutely will. Um, I think he's he's vital to them. I mean, he got a red card at the weekend, didn't he? So he's going to be suspended now. And I think that their win percentage without him takes a drastic drop off. Um, I think they've they've only won one of the four games he's missed under Pioli. So it, it, it really will be interesting to watch how their next few games unfold. But like I said before, they really look like they're struggling, don't they? You know, they're struggling to replicate who they were last season. Um, some of their... Bigger players um, in defence especially are not as sharp as they were last season. I think for all, you can look at the players that they have in midfield. I think they lack something without Franck Kessier. Mm. I think he just gave them a little bit of something different, that little bit of drive and, and, and mobility around the midfield. I think it has certainly freed up Sandro Tonali to do a little bit more. But just like I did last season, I still think that Milan should be playing with a three in midfield. I think it suits their their players a lot better than the the four two three one. But Pioli's not going to change that. So you you kind of like shouting at Antonio Conte to play a back four when you when you make that complaint about <laughs> Pioli. So yeah, I think I think they're very much a team with a glass ceiling on them this season. I think if they get a Champions League place, it'd be good for them. I, I really do. I think you look at the Roma, Lazio, how many points Napoli get before. Spalletti and De Laurentiis go uh, celebrate a death match on each other, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and what happens at Juve if they make a managerial change, or if somebody hits Max Allegri over the head and he wakes up thinking it's twenty seventeen, it it I, I think they're a team who are really much like when Milan last won the league. To be honest, they're a team who are kind of they've won the title at the end of a cycle rather than at the beginning of one. They've mm-hmm. got a few older, more experienced players, haven't they? I think, and I think. Yeah, they're just they're just not as sharp as they were, and I, I understand that. You know, you've not had success for ages. It's you've really managed... hard to retain, isn't it? Retain when the when title. you when you when you're a team who weren't expected to win it and you won it anyway, yeah. I think like Leicester when they won the league. Mm. You know, asking them to do it again, it's like not to compare Milan to Leicester because that's <laughs> obviously ridiculous. Because but Milan have been a long way back yeah. before last season. And they did an amazing accomplishment last season. To Almost win like they overachieved. So then, yeah, yeah and I you think can't, you can't always do that twice. Second, third, fourth. I don't think even that's regression. I think that's settling back about you know where they should be. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you think they were they were really poor the year before. Then they won the league. About average third or fourth. That would be a good season for this Milan team. And I think they have got some real quality players. Minor, obviously, layout, obviously. But I think you look around the rest of their squad and you can poke some pretty big holes in it. So, yeah, I think they're a little bit behind the the leading contenders for me. Okay. So, to finish off, we always have uh, a little bit of two classic players of who do you prefer. Okay. And we have a trivia question. Okay. So, uh, it's going to be a Juve theme this week, seeing as we have you on. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you... Who do you prefer from these two players for Juve? Um, Zinedine Zidane or Andrea Pirlo? Purely as Juve players. Okay, um, let's say overall. Let's say overall. Actually, it doesn't change for me because I like Andrea Pirlo. But 
yeah, I think for me, PLO, because I just prefer his whole vibe, style, everything. Um, even before he had that beard. <laughs> you know, I, I, I obviously being a little bit older, remember PLO when he was at Inter and then Brescia. Um, and then obviously a decade of, of incredible unparalleled success at Milan and then coming to Juve when everybody thought his career was done. And and I, I just love, I love the fact that he signed his Juve contract with a gold pen that was given to him as a gift by Milan, just to really <laughs> stick it to Adri- and, uh, Adriano Galliani. You do of him, do you really? Because you expected him to be all like chilled out and like... Yeah, the way but if you, if you read his autobiography, he's a very different person than the... Pilo's not impressed caricature that you see on TV. Yeah. He's he's a real practical joker. He he's famously said that the he was asked about being nervous before big games and he said the night before the the World Cup he played FIFA all night and then got up and went out and won the World Cup like no big deal. <laughs> you know, he he makes fun of uh um, Gattuso all the time. Yeah. yeah, they have little pranks, don't they? Them yeah, too. all the time. And I just I think that for me that Signing his UV contract with his Milan retirement gift is just up yours to Galliani and, and the whole Milan thing because I think it was a bit of a disaster for him at the end. And he came to UV and he had three seasons where he was the best player in Syria for three years. Yeah. And, and got at a time to, when Syria was really good as yeah, well. Yeah. Got to a Champions League final with UV and then went off and played in MLS for a little bit because he always kind of played like he wanted to be in MLS, didn't he? (laughs) You know, strolling around. But yeah, and he was incredible for Juve. And the opposite with Zidane. I think Zidane for France was obviously amazing. He was unplayable at times, wasn't he? Like you think that 98 to 2000 when they won Mm. the World Cup and the Euros back to back, he was unbelievable in both. Um, But at Juve, he never really hit those heights. He arrived... The summer after they won the Champions League in 1996, they got to two more Champions League finals and won two Scudetti. But that felt like backward steps. You know, reaching two Champions League finals in five years is amazing. Obviously, we we speak highly of Allegri for doing that. But with the team that Juve had with Del Piero and Trezeguet and Zidane um, and Chiram, Buffon... It's a case of, like, what should have been, really. they should have been much better. And then obviously they replaced Zidane with Buffon, Turam, Nedved and went back to winning again. And it, it never really worked. I, I, he was excellent as a player. You know, you can you can call up his Juve highlights on YouTube and he looks exactly the same as he did in a France shirt or in a Real Madrid shirt. But the team never succeeded. I think you had the problem. You had Davids in midfield wanting to get forward. You had Zidane in attacking midfield wanting to drop deep and get the ball. And you had Del Piero in attack wanting to drop deep and get the ball. And they were all kind of in the same space, wanting to go in the same places. And it never worked. And Juve sold him, bought Nedved, who played more out on the left, and everything suddenly clicked into place. And and Juve were much better. So he never really enjoyed that great success at Juve. And that, for me, I would I would always choose Pirlo. For me, it's the opposite. It's Zidane. Um... Oh, that's because you don't like Juve. <laughs> No, no, that's not the reason. The reason is that Zidane is one of my all-time favourite players. I loved uh, probably more of the Real Madrid Zidane and the France Zidane than Juve, I would suggest. But um, the fact that he could combine such physicality with such beauty on the ball Mm. is something for me that I personally really enjoyed watching. But these differences are why... 
you know, football's so great, isn't it, that you can, that everybody has a, a different view. Yeah, they are. And I think you can see that in in certain players, can't you? That blend of, of power and finesse at the same time. Zlatan had it at his absolute best, mm-hmm. didn't it? Haaland has it now. You know, yeah. it's, he, he looks like an absolute brute, but he's actually got this incredibly delicate touch and it, yeah. it doesn't seem to fit together. And he, he just pulls out these moments yeah, of absolute of genius. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch. And I, it's one of those where there's no wrong answer. No. No, absolutely. Right, I've got a um I've dug out quite a tricky question for you now. Okay. Um so in terms of trophies won for Juventus, um there's a list of about eleven players, I think, of the say the top eleven. Because we've got quite a few on the same number. Can you list those players starting from the top? The most trophies. The most trophies. Um Buffon? Buffon is at the top with twenty one. Um, obviously Del Piero will be up there um, yeah we've got Del Piero he is on 16 Chiellini Chiellini is second with 19 ok where was Del Piero? 4th uh, 4th so in between so Buffon Chiellini uh, Bonucci yes Yeah. he has 17 so you got the top 4 now Um, who else stuck around for a long time uh, Shireya, obviously. Shireya um, is uh, on 14, along with two other players. Okay. Then I guess it will be packed full of, of 90s guys. Uh, Paolo Montero. Nope. Takinadi. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Beppe Farino. Nope. No? Uh, who played for a long time in Traps Juve? Uh, oh, um, Pesotto, obviously. Stayed a long time. Yeah, he has the same as Shreya, 14. Um, I'm struggling after that. Okay, so uh, I'll fill in the rest. So you've got Buffon on 21, Chiellini on 19, Benucci on 17, Del Piero on 16. Oh, Conte as well. Yes, Conte, you're right there. You've yeah. remembered another one. He's got 15. Um, but Sally, you missed. Uh, yeah. 16. Sorry, Andrea. Chiro Ferrara on 15. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you got Takinadi, didn't you? I did. Conte. Are oh, you going to be upset or you missed this one, I think, because he's a, a modern legend. Uh, Claudio Marchisio on 15. Oh, of course. And then you got Shireya and Pisotto. And then the last one on 14, um, another modern legend, uh, Stefan Licksteiner. Ooh, Arsenal's on Stefan Licksteiner. <laughs> yeah. That, you, that's a real surprise you because you forget, don't you? You add in Coppa Italia, yeah, Super Coppa. Trophy's a trophy, right? adds up. That's why I never thought of, of Marquisio and Batsali because yeah. that short time. But yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, it was, as we discussed, it was a very trophy-laden time, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. <laughs> I shot myself in the foot there. We will be back next week with another Serie A episode. And don't forget, you can watch... Serie A live on Saturday evenings if you are in the UK and Ireland on the One Football app. Thanks for joining us.